Chapter Two of the Chautauqua Girls at Home. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Chautauqua Girls at Home by Pansy. Chapter Two. Flossy begins. Flossy Shipley's first day at the Sabbath school was different. She went over to the class of boys who were almost young men with trepidation indeed, and yet with an assured sort of feeling that they would be quiet. Just how she was going to accomplish this, she was not certain. She had studied the words of the lesson most carefully and prayerfully. Indeed, they had been more in her mind all the week than had anything else. At the same time, she by no means understood how to teach those words and thoughts to the style of young men who were now before her. Still, there was that in Flossie which always held the attention of the young men. She knew this to be the case and without understanding what her peculiar power was, she felt that she had it and believed that she could call it into service for this new work. They stared at her a little as she took her seat, then they nudged each other and giggled, and looked down at their dusty boots, guiltless of any attempt at being black, and shuffled them in a way to make a disagreeable noise. They knew Flossie, that is, they knew what street she lived on, and how the outside of her father's house looked, and what her standing in society was. They knew nothing of her in the capacity of a Sunday school teacher, and, truth to tell, they did not believe she could teach. She was a doll set up before them, for them to admire and pretend to listen to. They did not intend to do it. She had nothing in common with them. They had a right to make her uncomfortable if they could, and they were sure that they could. This was the mood in which she found them. "'Good morning,' she said brightly, and they glanced at each other and shuffled their feet louder, and some of them chuckled louder, while one of them said, "'It's rather late in the morning, ain't it? We got up quite a spell ago.' This passed for a joke, and they laughed aloud. At this point Flossie caught Dr. Dennis's distressed face turned that way. It was not reassuring." He evidently expected disastrous times in that corner. Flossie ignored the discourteous treatment of her good morning and opened her Bible. Do you know, she said with a soft little laugh, that I haven't the least idea how to teach a Sunday school lesson? I never did such a thing in my life, so you mustn't expect wisdom from me. The very most I can do is talk the matter over with you and ask you what you think about it whereupon they looked at each other again and laughed. But this time it was a puzzled sort of laugh. This was a new experience. They had had teachers who knew extremely little about the lesson and proved it conclusively, but never once did they own it. Their plan had rather been to assume the wisdom of Solomon and in no particular to be found wanting in information. They did not know what answer to make to Flossie. "'Have you Bibles?' she asked them. No. Well, here are the lesson leaves. These are pieces of the Bible, I suppose. Are they nice? I don't know anything about them. I have never been in Sunday school, you see, not since I was a little girl. What are these cards for, please? Now, they understood all about the management of the library cards and the method of giving out books by their means, and Flossie was so evidently ignorant and so puzzled by their attempts at explanation, 
and asked so many questions, and took so long to understand it, that they really became very much interested in making it clear to her, and then in helping her carry out the program which they had explained, and every one of them had a queer sense of relationship to the school that they had not possessed before. They knew more than she did, and she was willing to own it. Now, about this lesson, she said at last, I really don't see how people teach such lessons. They don't, said one whom they called Rich Johnson. They just pretend to, and they go around it and through it, and ask baby questions, and pretend that they know a great deal. That's the kind of teaching that we are used to. Flossie laughed. You won't get it today, she said, for I certainly don't know a great deal, and I don't know how to pretend that I do. But I like to read about this talk that Christ had with the people, and I should have liked of all things to have been there and heard him. I would like to go now to the place where he was. Wouldn't you like to go to Jerusalem? What an awkward way they had of looking from one to the other and nudging each other. Rich Johnson seemed to be the speaker for the class. He spoke now in a gruff, unprepossessing voice. I'd enough sight rather go to California. The others thought this a joke and laughed accordingly. Flossie caught at it. California, she said brightly. Oh, I've been there. I don't wonder that you want to go. It is a grand country. I saw some of those great trees that we have heard about. And forthwith she launched into an eager description of the mammoth tree and as they leaned forward, and asked now and then an intelligent question, Flossie blessed the good fortune that had made her her father's chosen companion on his hasty trip to California the year before. What had all the trees in California to do with the Sabbath school lesson? Nothing, of course. But Flossie saw with a little thrill of satisfaction that the boys were becoming interested in her. But for all that, she said, coming back suddenly, I should like ever so much to go to Jerusalem. I felt so more and more after I went to that meeting at Chautauqua and saw the city all laid out and a model of the very temple, you know, where Jesus was when he spoke these words. They did not laugh this time. On the contrary, they looked interested. She could describe a tree. Perhaps she had something else worth hearing. What's that? said Rich. That's something I never heard of and then Flossie laid the Bible in her lap and began to describe the living picture of the Holy Land as she had seen and loved it at Chautauqua. Of course you know that she did that well. Was not her heart there? Had she not found a new love and life and hope while she walked those sunny paths that led to Bethany and to the Mount of Olives? Every one of the boys listened, and some of them questioned, and Rich said when she paused, well, now, that's an idea, I declare. I wouldn't mind seeing it myself. And to each one of them came a glimmering feeling that there actually was such a city as Jerusalem, and such a person as Jesus Christ did really live and walk and talk here on the earth. Then Flossie took up her Bible again. But, of course, the next best thing to going to places and actually seeing people is to read about them and find out what the people said and did. I like these verses especially, because they mean us, as well as those to whom they were spoken. Look at this verse. 
I have been all the week over it, and I don't see but I shall have to stay over it all my life. Then said Jesus, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. Just think how far that reaches, all through the words of Jesus. So many of them, so many things to do, and so many not to do, and then not only to begin to follow them, but to continue, day after day getting a little farther, and knowing a little more. After all, it's very fascinating work, isn't it? If it is hard, like climbing a mountain, one gets nearer the top all the while. And when you do really reach the top, how splendid it is! Or, doing a hard piece of work, it's so nice to get nearer and nearer to the end of it, and feel that you have done it. One of the boys yawned. It was not so interesting as the description of the miniature Jerusalem. One of them looked sarcastic. This was rich. Do you suppose there ever was anybody like that? he asked, and the most lofty incredulity was in his voice. Like what? Why, that followed out that kind of talk. I know enough about the Bible to know they are mighty scarce. I'd go to Jerusalem on foot to see a real one. Where's the folks I'd like to know that live up to half of the things it says in the Bible? Why, they even say it can't be done, and that's why it seems all bosh to me. What's the use of putting it in there if it can't be done? Here was one who had evidently thought, and thought seriously about these things. Is there a boy of seventeen in our country who has not? Flossie felt timid. How should she answer the sharp, sarcastic words? He had been studying inconsistencies, and had grown bitter. The others looked on curiously. They had a certain kind of pride in Rich. He was their genius who held all the teachers at bay with his ingenious tongue. But Flossie had been in a morning meeting in Chautauqua, where there was talk on this very subject. It came back to her now. As for being able to do it, she said quickly, I don't feel sure that we have anything to do with that, until we have convinced ourselves that we have been just as good as we possibly could. Honestly now, do you think you have been? No, said Rich promptly. Of course not. And what is more, I never pretended that I was. Well, I know I haven't been. I am perfectly certain that in a hundred ways I could have done better. Why, there is nothing that I could not have improved upon if I had tried. So, by our own confessions, what right have you and I to stumble over not being able to be perfect, so long as we have not begun to be as near it as we could? How was he to answer this? Oh, well, he said, I haven't made any pretensions. I'm talking about those who have. That's exactly like myself, and, as nearly as I can see, we both belong to the class who knew our duty and had nothing to do with it. Now, I want to tell you that I have decided not to stand with that class any longer. Flossie paused an instant, caught her breath, and a rich flush spread over her pretty face. This was her first actual witnessing, outside of the narrow limits of her intimate three friends, who all sympathized. I gave myself to this Jesus when I was at Chautauqua. I said to him that I had stood one side and had nothing to do with his words all my life just taken his favors in silence and indifference, but that for the future I was to belong to him. 
Now, of course, I don't know how many times I shall fail, nor how many things I shall fail in. The most I know is that I mean to continue. After all, don't you see that the verse doesn't say, if you are perfect, but simply, if you continue? Now, if I am trying to climb a hill, it makes a difference with my progress, to be sure, whether I stumble and fall back a few steps now and then. But for all that, I may continue to climb, and if I do, I shall be sure to reach the top. So now my resolution is to continue in his words all the rest of my life. She did not ask Rich to do the same. She said not a word to him about himself. She said not a personal word to one of them, but every boy there felt himself asked to join her. More than that, not a boy of them but respected her. It is wonderful, after all, how rarely in this wicked world we meet with other than respect in answer to a frank avowal of our determination to be on the Lord's side. They were all quiet for an instant, and again Flossie caught a glimpse of Dr. Dennis's face. It looked perplexity and distrust. Was she telling them a fairy story, or teaching them a new game of whist? Then there is such a grand promise in this lesson, Flossie went on. I like it ever so much for that. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? asked Rich abruptly, the very question that Miss Marion Wilbur had asked in such anxiety. But Flossie was in a measure prepared for him. It chanced that she had asked Evan Roberts that self-same question. Why, free from the power and dominion of Satan, not belonging to him any more, and having a strength that is beyond and above anything earthly to lean upon, stronger than Satan's power can ever be. Rich gave a scornful little laugh. He is an old fellow that I don't particularly believe in, he said loftily, as though that forever settled the question as to the existence of such a person. I think a fellow is a silly coward who lays the blame of his wickedness off on Satan's shoulders just as if Satan could make him do what he didn't choose to do, always supposing that there is such a creature. Oh, wise and wily Flossie, she knew he was wrong. She knew he had contradicted his own logic, used but a few minutes before, but she did not attempt to prove it to him, for, in the first place, she felt instinctively that the most difficult thing in the world is to convince an ignorant person that he has been foolish and illogical in his argument. You may prove this to an intelligent mind that is accustomed to reason and to weigh the merits of questions, but it is a rare thing to find an uncultured brain that can follow you closely enough to be convinced of his own folly. Flossie did not understand herself well enough to reason this out. It was simply a fine instinct that she had, perhaps it ought to be called tact, that led her to be careful how she tried anything of this sort. Besides, there was another reason. She did not know how to set about doing it. It is one thing to see a sophistry, and another to take to pieces the filmy threads of which it is composed. She waved the whole subject, and jumped to one on which there could be but one opinion. Well, then, suppose you are right, and every one were free to be perfect if he would that only reaches to the end of his life. We surely haven't been perfect, you and I, for instance, so our perfection cannot save us from the penalty of sin, and that is death. 
what a grand thing it would be to be free from that. You believe in death, don't you? And I suppose, like any other sensible person, you are afraid of death, unless you have found something that makes you free from its power. Rich was still in a scornful mood. Should like to see anybody that is free from that, he said sneeringly. As near as I can make out, those persons who think they are good are just as likely to die as the rest of us. Ah, yes, but it isn't just that little minute of dying that you and I are afraid of. It is afterward. We are afraid of what will come next. You see, I know all about it, for I was awfully afraid. I had such a fear as I suppose you know nothing about. When it thundered, I shivered as if I had a chill, and it seemed to me as if every flash of lightning was going to kill me. And when I went on a journey, I could enjoy nothing for the fear that there might be an accident and I might be killed. But I declare to you that I have found something that has taken that fear away. I do not mean that I should like to be killed, or that I am tired of living, or anything of the sort. I like to live a great deal better than I did before. I think the world is twice as nice, and everything a great deal pleasanter. But when I was coming home from Chautauqua, I would waken in the night in the sleeping car, and I found to my surprise that, although I thought of the same thing, the possibility that there might be an accident that would cost me my life, yet I found that horrible sense of fear and dread was utterly gone. I could feel that though death in itself might be sad and solemn, yet it was, after all, but the step that opened the door to joy. In short, and here Flossie's face shone with a rare sweet smile, I know that the truth that is in Jesus has made me free. Rich was utterly silent. What could he reply in the face of this simple, quiet, I know? To say, I don't believe it, would be the height of folly, and he realized it. As for the rest, they had listened to this talk with various degrees of interest, the most of them amused that Rich should be drawn into any talk so serious, and be evidently so earnest. Let me tell you a little about these young men. They were not from the very lowest depths of society, that is, they had homes and family ties, and they had enough to eat and to wear. In fact, they earned these latter, each for himself. There were two of them who had the advantage of the public schools, and were fair sort of scholars. Rich Johnson was one of these, and was therefore somewhat looked up to and respected by those even who would not have gone to school another day if they could. But they were far enough out of the reach of Flossie Shipley, so far that she had never come in contact with one of them before in her life. She had no idea as to their names, or their homes, or their lives. She had no sort of idea of the temptations by which they were surrounded, nor what they needed. Perhaps this very fact removed all touch of patronage from her tone, as, when the bell rang, she found, to her great surprise, that the lesson hour was over, she turned back to them for a moment, and said with that sparkling little smile of hers, "'I'm real sorry you hadn't a teacher today. I should have been glad to have taught the lesson if I had known how. But you see how it is. I have all these things to learn.' Now, Rich Johnson rather prided himself on his rudeness, a strange thing to pride oneself on, to be sure. But pride takes all sorts of curious forms, 
and he had actually rather gloried in his ability to say rude and cutting things at a moment's notice, words, you know, that the boys in his set called cute. But he was at this time actually surprised into being almost gallant. We never had a better teacher, he said quickly. If you are only just learning, you better try it again on us. We like the style enough sight better than the finished up kind. And then Flossie smiled again and thanked him and said she had enjoyed it. And then she did an unprecedented thing. She invited them all to call on her in a pretty graceful way, precisely as she would have invited a gentleman friend who had seen her home from a concert, the quiet, courteous invitation to her father's house, which is a mere matter of form among the young ladies of her set, but which to these boys was as astonishing as an invitation to the Garden of Eden. They had not the slightest intention of accepting the invitation, but they felt, without realizing what made them feel so, a sudden added touch of self-respect. I almost think that they were more careful of their words during the rest of that day than they would have been but for that invitation. "'Isn't Sunday school splendid?' Flossie said to Ruth Erskine, as, with her cheeks in a fine glow of glad satisfaction that she had begun, she joined Ruth in the hall. "'It was very interesting,' said Ruth, in her more quiet, thoughtful way. She was thoughtful during the entire walk home. It was her lot to slip into one of those grand classes where Bible teaching means something more than simply reading over the verses. There had been good seed sown with a lavish hand, and there had been careful probing to see if it had taken root. Ruth had some stronger ideas about the importance of continuing. She had a renewed sense of the blessedness of being made free. She went home with a renewed desire to consecrate herself, and not only to enjoy, but to labor, that others might enter into that rest. Blessed are those teachers whose earnest Sabbath work produces such fruit as this. End of chapter 2 Recording by Tricia G.